The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode number 59. Captain DeBridge, Spock here. Make yourself. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the original series episode, Mud's Women. And joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well. Uh, folks, I, I do want to encourage you to please share this podcast with your friends. Uh, let others know about the secrets of Star Trek. Tell them how much fun we're having and how cool it is to talk about this stuff. From our unique perspective, we're approaching... These episodes from our unique perspective as Catholics, uh, that doesn't mean we run everything up against the church doctrine, but but it it's our worldview, the way we look at the world, and that informs how we look at things like Star Trek. And we hope that you're enjoying it, and we'll share that with others, and maybe they'll enjoy it as well. Uh, I do see occasionally folks on uh, social media recommending the podcast for others, and we really, really do appreciate that. Uh, I want a couple pieces of business up front. I just want to encourage you to stick around at the end. We are Going to have some feedback from listeners. We have some great feedback this week, and uh, so that's going to be fun. And I want to recommend, uh, as I just uh, said you should do, I want to recommend a podcast to you, a new podcast from StarQuest. It's our, our newest show. It's called American Catholic History, and it is a short weekly podcast, under 10 minutes every week, and Tom and Noel Crow, a uh, married couple uh, with an expertise in American Catholic history, they're going they cover a some sort of person, event, uh, circumstance, place from uh, history where it's uniquely American, uniquely Catholic, and the, the impact that it had on the, the world around them. So I'll give you an example. The first episode was about a woman named Margaret Howery from New Orleans in the 19th century, who was a widow who became a successful businesswoman who took care of the poor and stood up against occupying generals during the Civil War in order to feed the poor, the orphans, the, the widowed. It's a great story. Second episode is about the seal of the confessional, how a legal case in 1813 in New York uh, really created the first precedent to protect the seal of the confession for of the confessional for Catholics in America. So it's a great podcast. Check it out. SQPN.com slash history. All right. So, you know, Dom, it was interesting in your intro. You said we don't run everything up against Catholic doctrine. I think I do unless I mean I always have this subroutine running in mm -hmm. the back of my mind and unless my evil twin is <laughs> using the emotion ship to disable my doctrinal subroutine, I'm pretty much <laughs> running everything against Catholic doctrine all, all right. the time. I just that just doesn't mean I'm talking about it all the time. That's a good point and a good distinction. Uh so 
we don't necessarily do it out loud and explicitly put it that and we way. Do, and we, we don't have sensors. You know, I don't have a Monsignor looking over my shoulder, making <laughs> sure I'm saying the right things or anything like that. We do not submit our podcast for the imprimatur. <laughs> I, I'm my own censor. Exactly. I, I practice a lot of self-censorship. And maybe that's appropriate given the, today's episode. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there Boy. is some moral content here that we need to talk about. Uh, so this is uh, from the first season. It is the fourth uh, the fourth episode that they produced, but it was aired sixth. If you recall, NBC aired them all out of order of production, which uh, which which is confusing when you look at it in um, like Amazon, because I, I want to say yeah. they have mm-hmm. them in production order on Amazon, right. not release order. And Netflix has them in release order. So it's it's confusing. We're going in production order. That just it, yeah. it makes it yep. simpler that way. Uh, the way we, we just had to pick one and we chose this. And there's a reason this one was so early. It was actually considered as a pilot episode. Yes. Which is um, surprising. <laughs> yeah. And well, Gene Roddenberry, duh. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but they didn't end up using it as a pilot script, but they had it as a concept. So when they got the series go order, it was one of the first episodes they produced. Yeah, so this is an, another story from Gene Roddenberry's fantasy life. Let's just say that right yeah. off the bat. Um, it evokes a trope from old westerns of women from a back east traveling across the open plains to a frontier town where there are men who need wives. I mean, this is an old western sort of trope. Uh, yeah, and, and this really is a kind of wagon train to the stars thing. Now, so since you've raised the issue, let's deal with it up front. There are a lot of people who will look at this episode and say, oh, it's really about space hookers. Right. And and I've seen people say, oh, I realized even as a kid, this is just about space hookers. Well, I didn't as a kid. I took no. it at face value. Uh, this is about wiving settlers. Right. And 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 I think that even I think you can see the other meaning if you want to. Mm-hmm. But the episode itself doesn't support that. No, it, um, it's pretty clear that they're there to be mail order brides, basically. Yeah. yeah. And and even when I mean, when Harry Mudd is talking to the women in private or I mean, the guards are there, but he's ignoring them. I mean, yeah. he's talking to the women directly and it's all about you're going to be wives and it's clear they want to be wives. They don't want a temporary hookup for money. They Eve in particular really wants a husband to yeah. be a real husband who's going to value her as a wife. And so I think I think despite the reputation that this episode has, you read the text of the episode and 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 it's just what it is. It's kind of like when you have people say things like uh, this is an example from the Catholic author Tim Powers. He was on a panel once at a sci fi convention and someone was saying, well, the novel Dracula is really about the anxieties of 19th century women. And he's like, no, no, it's about a, a man who drinks blood so we can live forever. I mean, don't don't believe me. Read it. And, yeah. And I feel kind of that way about this episode. No, this is taking an Old West trope and dropping it into the future. There is so much. It seems like for, for people to think that they're they're being artistic, they have to read deeper meanings into everything. Well, this is reminds me of my uh, my, my first year of theology when my uh, pr- biblical studies professor asked us about the beginning of the book of Genesis, and he asked, what is it about? Oh, it's about the devil tempting Eve. He said, no, it's about a snake who tempts Eve. <laughs> and and everyone looked confused. He said, where does it say devil in there? It doesn't. That's the text. The literal text is about a snake. That's where we yep. begin. And so in here, the literal text is about 
women traveling to become the wives of settlers. And now in some of the execution of this, I can understand where some misunderstandings come in and well, where people get their backs up a little bit. I get es- that. Especially when, when Mud, Mud basically uses the women to uh, seduce the Enterprise crew so that he can get what he wants to then contact the settlers. Right, right. So this was, like Jimmy, you said, this was going to be either the first or second pilot, uh, but NBC got nervous about it for obvious reasons, and so that's why it got pushed back a little bit. Um, I think if it's a dander's a pilot, that would have been a, probably a problem. Um, but speaking of Mud, the actor who plays Mud, there have been two actors who played Mud uh, yep. in Discovery and in the original series, and this is Roger C. Carmel, who does a great job. He's got that Irish sort of accent that he that he affects here. Um, yeah, and, and he dressed dressed like a space pirate. Yes, yep. yes, and he plays Including Mud the three times. Yes, yes, he's got the mustache. He, he plays Mud three times, twice in TOS and once in the animated series. Yeah, so we'll cover all and, of those. And they they wanted him to do another episode in the live action series, <clears throat> but um, it it it, it the, the series got canceled, and so it ended up being a book called Mud's Angels. Oh hmm. yeah, I think I remember that from long ago. I have to I have to think about that again because yeah, that, that does ring a bell. Uh, so we start with the Enterprise is chasing Mud's ship into an asteroid field, where and they he, blow a fuse. <laughs> he overloads his engine. Yeah, exactly. And the Enterprise has to protect the ship with its shields while it's beaming them aboard, and ends up they end up blowing their circuit breakers, essentially uh, mm-hmm. their lithium crystals. Oh, there goes another crystal. Uh, Sulu keeps saying. <laughs> yeah, I, I I love how when they he goes into the asteroid field. Spock has a term, I forget what it is, but it's like it's like Silkowski type three asteroid field. Yeah. And I like it. Schiller rating. Schiller rating. Yes. And and I like how they've made up a name for classifying how dense asteroid fields are. They haven't said it's like a space asteroid field class three. They made <laughs> yes. up a plausible scientific name for it. And they haven't said it they, that they're going to have a space collision yet. No, yeah, that's a, that sort of thing. Uh, I, I, on Mud's his accent and his clothing, I have a feeling that they were trying to evoke the Irish travelers, which are mm. a, a kind of gypsy, gypsy. people in Ireland. Yep. Yeah, and so they they kind of dress in the flamboyant style. They have the the accent, and we'll see that again in PNG. They're going to have Irish traveler oh, sorts of people. That's in up it. the long ladder. That's one of the worst episodes. <laughs> yes, uh, it's the washing the feet. Uh, yeah. uh, yes, uh, but uh, so Mud it, it sort of evokes that idea. You get this right off the bat. He's sort of a you think he's a trickster, a con, or a, 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 a con man uh, uh, sort. So, um, well, the first thing out of his mouth is a lie. I'm Captain Leo Walsh. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, we don't know it at first, of course, if the first time we watch this, but uh, we'll we'll find out. Uh, and then they they beam him aboard first as their ship is getting destroyed, and then they finally beam these three women aboard. And my question is: Were these three women standing in the transporter room on this ship in their sultry poses as their ship was being battered and destroyed? Exactly. Around them? <laughs> Apparently so. And then all of the men, and for a second, you wonder: Even is Spock hypnotized by these women? But Scotty and McCoy clearly are. Yes, and then uh, yeah, they're clearly uh, dumbfounded. Scotty just can't can't hear the captain calling him from the bridge. Uh, and then we have these women uh, parade through the ship, turning heads of all the male, male crewmen as they go. Uh, as we are given close ups of their backsides, unfortunately. Yeah, 
They even turned the head of George Takei. <laughs> I mean, that's how magnetic they were. Uh, the, and apparently in syndication, they cut some of that stuff. It's like like all of the close-ups of the, their backsides and that sort of stuff got cut. I mean, I, I have to say, I mean, it is a little, I mean, we, we're playing the objectification of women in, in this. I mean, there is some of that, like trying mm-hmm. to say, hey, objectifying women is bad. And it is bad. But I think they overdo it, overdo it in in objectifying them. Like I get, I get it. You don't have to over sell this. I I was surprised by that scene in particular. Again, knowing you know, late sixties TV was still pretty sanitized compared to what we have on TV today. Yeah, this is not the Donna Reed show, right? No. Well, so was this around the time of Ijima Genie when they showed her in a. Her her bare midriff, and that caused oh, a scandal. Well, that was yeah. She was not allowed to show her belly button. Uh, Barbara Eden was not. She, yep, they yes. had to design her costume to conceal her belly button. Right, right. And then I, I remember reading some about like then she would purposely wear the shortest skirts possible, and all kinds of other things. Oh my gosh, uh, yes. The uh, uh, the I Dream Gene is a whole nother a whole nother podcast, perhaps. So yeah. uh, Mud calls Spock a Vulcanian. And mm-hmm. says uh, hey, he the, notes you're part Vulcanian, aren't you? So he can tell the difference. Yeah, uh, uh, that's a pretty perspective guy there. And he yeah. tells the women that they can turn it off, quote unquote, their sultriness, uh, since Vulcans can turn off their emotions and their wiles won't work on him. Um, and then uh, Spock brings Mud and the women to Kirk's quarters, where in, yeah, that's a, a good conference idea. room. Yeah, but <laughs> I love Spock's face as the women walk in. He's like he's 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 like uh, like having fun watching yeah. Kirk be being bewitched by the women. He definitely <laughs> looked amused that half this episode he looked amused at just the reactions of the other men with, towards the women. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, he I mean he knows he knows Kirk and we all know Kirk and so he like he knew exactly what he was doing to Kirk ambushing him with these women. Um <laughs> it, so Mud at one point calls the women his cargo. And one of the women says he's used to buying and selling people. So yeah. that may be where some people have got the impression that it's it's like some sort of slavery or human mm-hmm. trafficking as opposed to wiving. Uh, but, of course, Mud doesn't help his case by by being so disreputable and immoral throughout this. Yeah. So that's a part of it. Uh, but I, I like the fact that Kirk throws the book at Mud. He is the local law. I mean, this is the sort of law of the sea sort of thing. He's the. He's the local law, and he's going to throw the book at him, put him on trial uh, well, have for a, violating. Per, have a preliminary hearing on, on board the ship. Yep. Right. I, I like the fact that Mud throws at least part of the book right back at Kirk, because as soon as the episode started, they're chasing an unknown ship. It's clearly Federation, and they start the and and it's like, okay, this is like a traffic stop, and you're turning it into a car chase, and mm-hmm. on what grounds are you doing this? I mean, I don't I, I, I don't think that U.S. Navy vessels, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think U.S. Navy vessels can just stop anybody out sailing the ocean. They um, can if if they're not transmitting their. Um, so we have an equivalent in, in the U, in, in, on Earth uh, in maritime. If uh, ships of a certain size have to transmit a right. identification code, they have. A and trans- that's what they say uh, that. Mud's not doing. Yeah, but they don't set that up for us. Um, it's only much later in the episode at the hearing where they get to that. They 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 say there's no identification beam coming from the ship. Yeah, early on, but they don't tell us that's why it's okay for us to stop it. 
And yeah. so I, I, I thought Mudd, when he accuses Kirk of exceeding his authority, um, he, I, I think, given what the audience has been told thus far, Mudd has kind of a point. I also find it hilarious that Mudd is saying, well, how was I to know it was a starship? And what he means by that is a Federation military starship. Yeah. But right. Mudd is in a starship. Anything that flies between yes. the stars is a starship. I love right. how they, they equate Federation military vessel with starship in this. Yes, that's true. Um, yeah. The, the, he's, he's, how could I tell it's the Federation? Could have been You could have been Romulans or Klingons for all I know. Yeah, the Rhymes and Klingons would have shot at you. You could look out the window and see the big ship that is clearly a Federation ship. Yeah. That would be a Federation markings. Yeah. Yeah. So Scotty says that due to their blowing all the circuit breakers, they're down to one lithium, not dilithium at this point, notice. Right. One lithium crystal with a crack in it. They won't get far uh, because of that. And apparently the crystals are used for some kind of power conversion. And so Spock suggests they they get more by diverting to a mining colony. Rigel Uh, 12. And, and these crystals are are super rare. We, we, they're setting up early on that, like, because dilithium throughout Star Trek is this is this important material mm-hmm. that it's very rare, very expensive, um, and they have to be of a certain quality in order to work in a starship. Mud says these things are worth like a thousand times their weight in gold. Right, right, right. Uh, so very important. Um, so then they have this hearing where the the was Kirk. And the board of the hearing is Kirk, McCoy, Spock, and uh, Farrell, who is the navigator of the week. And a lie-detecting <laughs> computer they never use again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, they, that, they use the lie detector to get Mud's real name and his real past uh, out of him. Um, I, like, I like when they show us the, his record on the screen. There's no mention of a space whale. <laughs> <laughs> but there is reference to a future police record code. So. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so this is their equivalent of like a space uh, police record. They call it the future police record code number, and then yeah. they give a, the, his code. So, uh, in the future, we will refer to our present as the future. Uh, <laughs> so, the 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 women who are sitting there are hypnotizing the members of the hearing board, uh, including Scotty and McCoy, who are are unable to carry out their duties, uh, even to the most basic degree. Um, and then Mud reveals that his profession, as we said, is wiving settlers. Uh, wiving being a, a, used in a verb uh, sense at, at mm-hmm. this point. And they were and, on their way to Ophiuchus Three for the settlers right. there. Uh, the computer detects nothing unusual about the women, uh, well, but unasked, it, it says it can't read anything about the women. Right, uh, but unasked, it then begins to tell them all about the unusual readings coming from the men present. Exactly. Yeah, I think you want to work on that AI bot there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or maybe it was just like being a little more a little more uh jealous of the captain being enamored of uh these women. So um they, so early on Mud says the women need to stay away from any medical exams. And so one of them, Ruth, goes to sickbay to you know, and, and, to talk to the doctor. Like if you're supposed to stay away from medical yeah. exams, and of course she stands in front of the scanner and it starts acting weird. Yeah. And that's something that we eventually and even in that scene, they you can they imply what the reason is that she's there. And we later get more clarity. It, Mud has given each one of the three women an assignment. Yep. Right. And her assignment, Ruth's, is to go to Sick Bay and find out how many settlers there are on Rigel twelve and if they're in good health. Mm. 
Right. Eve is is sent to the captain's quarters. To, she's sort of to the, seduce him. Yeah. To seduce him. I mean, she's laying um, in the bed when he comes in. Apparently, he doesn't yeah. lock his door. Which yeah, is that seems to be a security breach of this yeah. uh, there. <laughs> he's, he could have, he's got a security clearance. He could have who knows what in there. Yeah, that just seems like, I mean, this happens a lot uh, on oh, yeah. Kirk's ship, I have to say. If, uh, if the, I need to give, give a little uh, security uh, routine for him. Uh, so apart from Uhura and a couple of women in the background, I notice there's hardly a, any reference to the female crew at all in this episode. Like no. Uhura does a few communications things. But really, that's we we, it's we, it's all of the male crew mm-hmm. and these women. Uh, I'm, I suppose it's just intended to emphasize their effect on on men because of this secret alien drug. It's it, it partly it's also. I mean, I think it's fair to say it's also partly because the '60s television wasn't. I mean, that's what the show is interested in. This is what this episode is about: is these women. So they want to keep the focus on them. Today, right. we would definitely have a how is the female crew reacting to all of this subplot. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But at the time, they just wanted to keep the focus on on what's happening, what's actually the big plot driver, and not look at all of the ramifications it would have mm-hmm. for other women. And you can argue and say, well, maybe it, maybe it would be more dramatically interesting if, right. if you know, yeah. ordinary women are being asked to compete with these super vixens who were hopped up on a drug that we're going to learn about. Right. By the way, speaking, yeah. speaking of the med bay scene, I love the bit where uh, she's just made the medical scanner go bleep, and McCoy, <laughs> semi-hypnotized, is saying, are you, are you wearing some unusual kind of perfume or something radioactive, my dear? <laughs> juxtaposition of unusual perfume and something radioactive yeah <laughs> yeah that's uh, yeah something radio that, that is a quite unusual uh uh thing uh, but mccoy does speculate that there is something going on that's making them more desirable and more beautiful he's starting to figure out that there's something going on and we do find out that they're taking a drug that turns them from ugly to beautiful or from you know slightly disheveled to, to yeah exactly made up by the makeup department uh it apparently also makes their hair more styled uh, yeah when they but like so when they're not when they take it suddenly their disheveled hair gets all you know nicely uh styled for them yeah uh, kind of and funny they start going into even particular starts going into withdrawal and then the other two uh magda and ruth also do by the mm-hmm. way notice the biblical names here Eve is yep. the first woman, the temptress, mm-hmm. and yep. Ruth and Magda, short for Mary Magdalene, are both biblical names as well. Yep. Right, right. Uh, w- remind me of Ruth. Uh, Ruth, she is, was... Ruth is a Moabitess who's King David's grandmother, and even though she's a Moabitess, she seduces, basically, um, King David's grandfather, Boaz, and then marries him. Mm-hmm. Mary oh, Magdalene okay. then has a reputation of being a prostitute, even though yep. the biblical text doesn't support that. Right, right, right. So we this have a, these three a... biblical temptresses here. Interesting, interesting. So Harry contacts the miners uh, on Rigel 12 ahead of time and makes a deal with them. And the miners demand a swap of the crystals for the women and Harry Mudd mm-hmm. is Mudd's deal. So Kirk laughs at them and reminds them that they need Starfleet and hangs up. <laughs> You'll give us the crystals. Don't worry. You need you need us uh, as much as we need you. 
Although the ship, of course, uh, once it enters orbit, it can only stay in orbit un- until it crashes uh, 36 hours or something Three like days, that. So, seven hours, and some minutes, if I remember my spot correctly. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so he gives in uh, eventually. He has to give in because they really do have him over a barrel. And so the so they beam down with the women. And then the miners, they put Kirk off. They say, yo, uh, we'll get to you later. We're having a party with our new uh, future, our new fiancés here, mm-hmm. uh, bef- and you'll get your stuff after we're done. Uh, which is really <laughs> the ship is about is you know in, in the in, on a clock here. Yeah, they're being really irresponsible. Yes, uh, Eve is clearly unhappy in this situation. She's she doesn't like this uh, because the only reason these guys are fighting over the three women is because of this drug. Yeah, it's we later learn it's called the Venus drug, and there's a neat bit when we first see it. Harry has hidden it, which is the reason he didn't want to be searched and have it found, so he's hidden it in his quarters, and he's forgotten where that is, and so that's why the women are starting to go into withdrawal. Mm-hmm. But then he finds right. it, and he gives each one of them a capsule, and Ruth and, and Magda take it immediately, but Eve is having reservations. Right. And she holds it in her hand, and we see that it's a kind of red-looking crystal thing that sparkles. And and there's some mm. effect that they do with it to make it glow and sparkle in her hand, which I thought was really cool when I saw it, you know, in the 60s. Like, okay, that's a space drug. You know? <laughs> yes. and, that is how a space drug should And look. then she closes her fist on it in anguish, and we cut on action to Spock holding one of the burned-out lithium crystals. And I thought that was a nice piece of direction there. Um, also, notice the 60s drug use issue that mm-hmm. we have going yep. on here. Because even before, you could say this is a little early, not really, but it's a little early for full blow, for the full-blown hippie movement. But there had already been a big movement towards like housewives using tranquilizers oh, yeah. and stuff in the 60s and people having pills and booze parties and stuff even before the hippies. So mm-hmm. this is very topical for the time. Absolutely. Right. People medicating themselves to make a better life, that sort of thing. Yep. I like the way they described the drug too, is it wasn't like it completely it transformed them. It just, it made them look a little more attractive. You know, it, it brought, it emphasized the features is kind of how they express it. Men look a little more muscular. Women look a little more alluring, things like that. So it's kind of a perception filter. Yeah. yeah. Also, beer goggles. <laughs> yeah. Also, <laughs> in men, it, if you're a man, it's going to make you a little more aggressive. Yep. If you're a yes. woman, it's going to make you a little more feminine. Um, right. Oh, also, by the way, when Kirk shows up before the miners say, we actually want the women, um, Kirk says, I've been authorized to pay an equitable price yeah. for the lithium crystals. It's like, yes, there is money. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. There's still money in the future. Uh, so, uh, so Eve runs out into the storm. There's a storm brewing on the surface of this planet. Magnetic storm. Magnetic storm. And so Kirk and Spock, uh, chase her out into the storm. But the thing that, that I was thinking about at this point was what happens with, you know, so the women, they marry these miners, everybody leaves, the enterprise is gone. Mud goes off to continue his depredations of the all, you know, uh, gullible people in the universe. And what happens when these pills run out yeah. to these women? You know, it- that. It's not a concern for mud, but it should be a yeah. concern for the women. Mm-hmm. It's like, right. I've got this guy and I'm not as attractive as I used to be. What does this mean for my future? Right. 
Right. Well, I mean, maybe they're thinking because, well, we're stuck here. We're stuck with her and that's it. And they, they <laughs> kind of wave a hand at it at that at the end. So there is a scene on back on board the ship when, you know, uh, the they're they're they've been out searching for Eve in the storm. Um, Kirk, they're trying to you know find her on the sensors. And Scotty, you know, reforms Kirk that time's running out. And Kirk snaps at Scotty. Again, we have another of these things where, you know, Kirk is human. He's got these emotions. His anger comes out. And he snaps at him and then apologizes. And mm-hmm. then I like this. And I notice this is different from a lot of modern shows where people will be angry and they just the be angry. That's the, the thing. They're angry thing. And then we move on. But Kirk has this moment, this, this thing. It's very clearly he 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 feels his emotions. He's, he feels his passions. But he recognizes that, it, you know, when I'm not being fair to my subordinates who have to take it because I'm the boss, but he still apologizes. And 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 scotty is gracious in accepting the apology yeah. of course and he it's understands f- it's very captain pike of him yeah <laughs> it is and uh i i do like this style and i wonder if that is actually something that they've they've consciously aped in pike for example um that we we don't see in others uh it's not very picard of him no no it's not it's not so Childress is one of the miners, and he's the one who's sort of paired up with Eve. He seems to be the head miner. He actually rescues her from the storm. Right. They end up back at his house. He's surly and defensive toward her. Mm-hmm. Um, she makes him breakfast, um, and and he gets mad at her when her looks begin to fade. Yeah, but I like how before that, you know, he's and he's starting to notice she's not quite as attractive as she was before. But mm-hmm. she's she's making the. Um, breakfast and he's like hey i'm actually a chef okay am i supposed to am i supposed to like roll my eyes and go ooh female cooking and <laughs> um and so that was kind of neat that was a little bit of of you know role reversal in terms of the sexes back in the yep. 60s um although he eats it and does what kind of looks at her no, like no, okay this is okay. pretty good actually <laughs> yeah but then he says i've had better and i made it myself so yeah. he's, he, I think he's kind of in the middle on the food quality. That came across to me more being crotchety at that point than. Yeah, like he really hadn't made it better. Himself, I, but, but I took it seriously fine. because she then turns on him and says, well, if you're tasting some of what you yourself made, because I couldn't scrape off three layers of your leavings from this pan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. and, and he's like, I don't exactly have a great water supply to wash them with. And she then comes up with the suggestion hang them in the storm yep. and let the sand blast them clean, which we then see him doing. And he comes back right. in and he's like, you know, that's going to work. And he's looking <laughs> at her more friendly now, yep. now that she's proved her worth as more than just a a male, you know, fantasy object. He's starting to cotton to her now. And that's when he starts to notice, wait, you don't look quite the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He says, uh, Hey, what, you know, you, you, you're not only plain as an old bucket, you're not even good company. What happened to your looks anyway? And she says, I got tired of you. I slumped. Yeah. <laughs> so the back of it, they're already an old married. I'm also wondering in this scene, this, we've seen these structures. They live in these huts from the outside and they're mm-hmm. clearly artificial. So why does he have a cave interior in his artificial hut? <laughs> yeah, that, it was an exactly. interesting choice. Um, uh, well, then Kirk and Mud uh, finally show up at, at Childress's hut. And when they walk in, the first thing Childress says is, I didn't touch her, which is very, very yeah. interesting. Uh, yeah, a little <laughs> guilty there. Uh, and then they, they kind of get Harry, corner him, and he explains the Venus drug. Uh, Childress gets angry and complains that instead of beautiful women, he gets homely women, like a jerk. <laughs> and then uh, mm-hmm. Eve tells him, you know, she takes the, the drug, 
And she tells him, is this what you want? A vain, selfish, useless, beautiful woman or a woman who can help you, who can sew, cry in need, um, which is an interesting juxtaposition. Well, it turns out he gets both because she had swallowed a placebo and turns beautiful because she believed in herself or something. Right. Kirk explains it as there's you just it's basically you have to have self-confidence and the the placebo gave her that. So, okay, Mud explains they took my drug and gave me this placebo. And I'm like, why? Why did they why didn't they just take his drug? Why did they give him a placebo? The purpose of that is to fake somebody out. Yeah. So apparently they wanted him to fake Eve out. But that's okay. That makes sense from a story perspective to show Eve that she didn't need the drug, although kind of she maybe did, given the degree of transformation they show when they're off the drug. But why would McCoy go along with that? That doesn't make any right. sense to it, me. Why this fake yeah. out? Well, because they're trying to do a good deed for the women to make them realize that they really are beautiful or something. Well, it, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's that kind of feel good. Well, as long as you. You believe in yourself. You'll be a beautiful person. The music swells. The oh, Disney logo. Yeah, appears. okay, but that doesn't mean that she's going to be going from this okay attractive woman to this drop dead gorgeous knockout. Well, let's be honest. Men are going to drool over you, woman. <laughs> they're they're Hollywood actresses. They're, even in their schlumpiest, yeah. they're they're uh, they're gorgeous and beautiful. I mean, that, exactly. I mean, it's kind of hard to buy it. They didn't go to a whole lot of work to make them look homely. Uh, so, although, well, with some of them, they they apparently like put Elmer's glue on Ruth's face or something to make it <laughs> yeah, wrinkle up. Yeah, I'm not sure that what was that a was, but they yeah. did something. So you know, now, now to be fair too, there there was a lot of the famous Star Trek soft focus <laughs> camera shots yes, on women. Yes, so. that is true. Little little uh, little gel on the uh, on the on the lens. So uh, once back on the ship with their their dilithium crystals or lithium crystals in place. Uh, McCoy suggests that Kirk should try the patent medicine business, which I, I was. Yeah, another Old West yes, reference. Uh, pa- yeah. Patent medicine was uh, <laughs> fake medicine. It, it, at, at worst, it was Snake intentionally uh, trick to trick people uh, to swindle people. It's where the little literal phrase of a snake oil salesman came from. Right. Because you would have yeah. a guy selling snake oil. Right. I, I do want uh, one note. The, uh, the actress who played Magda, her name was Susan Denber. Denberg, and her real name is Dietlinda Zechner, and from she was from what was then Germany and is now Poland, uh, given the shift mm. in borders. Mm. Uh, but she had that very strong accent through the to it, so it was oh, very yes. interesting. Uh, just I'd, I'd mention uh, her there. So, do you guys have any uh, any additional notes on this episode, Father? You first. Just one one thing. Uh, there's a scene and we've seen this uh, before, and we'll, there's another episode where it'll show up where Spock is carrying an E6B calculator. That's the flight calculator they use, where it's like a slide rule. Right. Pilots, some pilots still use it to this day uh, for calculating I'm, like wind drift and things like that. I wondered. I had in my notes. Spock has a fancy slide <laughs> yeah. rule. That's it's it is yeah. an E6B calculator because <laughs> oh, of course those. Because uh, think Gene Rodberry was a pilot or was a was, pilot, yeah. you know, so he would have been very familiar with those. So he probably wrote it in just because of that. That's funny. Jimmy? Well, I had a few. I liked how Evie, in talking about her background, says she's I, I liked how they described the planets the women were from. So Ruth was from a, a, a an ocean planet, they, a pelagic planet. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Magda was from some research station, and then Eve was from a farming planet. 
And she talked about how it was a planet with just automated machines. She grew up with her brothers, but there were no men. And I like how, you know, this is this is the reason we had this uh, mail order bride situation in the old West, because moving West was a dangerous thing. There were lots of hardships and dangers. And so the men would move out first and you'd have these near all male communities. And Mm -hmm. then there would be the problem of how do they get wives? And so that's actually historically you know, we see history replicating itself here on these frontier planets like oh, the yeah. mining colony and so forth. Um, a lot of men moved out west to make their fortunes mining. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought it was interesting how Kirk, by the end of the episode, the ship is down to 43 minutes of power. So they apparently spent three days and six hours in orbit uh, <laughs> that we didn't see most right. of. Looking for Eve mm-hmm. in the storm. Looking for Eve in, in the magnetic storm. And then when after Childress has rescued Eve and he's gone outside to hang the pans in the sandstorm, he comes back in and she's playing solitaire or something that looks like solitaire. And she's using these circular cards. They're clearly um, our normal, you know, suits of cards with diamonds and clubs and everything. And the same, you know, we see like a queen and an eight and stuff. But um they're round. And I thought, wow, that was, they must have found those in some store in LA yeah. and thought this would be a cool prop we could use and just put it in the prop department. Yep. And then she says she's, the children assume she's playing solitaire and she says, no, it's double jack. And, and he, which sounds like a plausible name for a card game. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, that uh, black eight should go on the red or on the red nine or something like that. And she's not in double jack. <laughs> right. so that was cool i also liked how um after uh kirk and mud have come down and are talking to childress about the venus drug he's immediately concerned about his two fellow miners and who aren't here they're back in their own you know huts and he says well what's happened to them and and um kirk says they're married subspace radio marriage and i thought yeah that's like marriage by proxy Yeah. Which is another, which is another actual institution that people would use in the past. Yep. Um, but Kirk also says, "Don't worry, because of the cheat with the Venus drug, they can get out of it if they want." So this mm-hmm. is annullable as yep. well. So we've got real marriage law coming in there. You marry under false pretenses, it can be annulled. Um, I liked all that. I liked how at the beginning of the episode, at the initial preliminary hearing, Kirk. Uh, concluded that there was sufficient evidence against Mudd to remand him uh, to uh, the civil authorities for trial. And that's brought up again at the end of the episode. Mudd is in custody. He's going to be turned over to the authorities. And then finally, in the last scene where uh, McCoy and Spock are sparring already this early Mm -hmm. in the series, because McCoy is not a regular character at this point. He was he was his initial contract did not have him as a regular you won't see him as one of the main three in the credits. Um, But he's already sparring with Spock. That relationship is forming. And as part of it, he demonstrates the location of the Vulcan heart. (laughs) He says, kind of, kind of get you right here. And he gestures to the human heart. And then he says, or in your case, kind of right about here. And he puts his, his hand like lower to the left. 
on the lower part of the rib cage. <laughs> right. And I, so I liked, I liked that little b- bit of Vulcan anatomy there. Yeah, Spock says, I'm happy this affair is over. A most annoying emotional episode. <laughs> and, then, and then he tells McCoy, the fact that my internal arrangement differs from yours, Doctor, pleases me to no end. <laughs> that was a uh, harsh. Um, so yes, uh, I, I the the sparring with with Kirk between Kirk and Mud was fun when, when he says that uh, mm-hmm. Mud wants to be left behind on the planet because that would certainly be punishment enough. And Kirk says, "I can't do that, Harry." But I'll appear as a character witness at your trial if you think that'll help. And Mud says, "They'll throw away the key." very good so again promise at the beginning we have some feedback from listeners on our wrath of con discussion and uh, we have a few emails and uh, the first one's from jeffrey he says thanks for this episode what a pleasure to hear intelligent discussion and analysis of such a fond lifelong favorite movie are you sure you listen to the right podcast never mind just kidding (laughs) i remember as a child treasuring the vhs of this movie i watched it so many times and immersed myself into the world it created. As an adult, my admiration for the movie remains, and it is interesting to reflect on the themes and elements of the movie that made it such a favorite growing up. Uh, Also, just cool to hear other guys who are Trekkies who love the film talking about it. Anyway, looking forward to part two. He'd only listened to the first part at that point. Great show, and thanks again. So thank you, Jeffrey. Then Dennis uh, writes uh, an email. Thank you for the in-depth coverage of the Wrath of Khan. I'm an active duty U.S. Navy chief electrician's mate, Chief Petty Officer E7. Uh, female officers are referred to as ma'am. We, we had a discussion about this uh, in, that, yes. in that podcast. We can, however, address our officers by rank, like lieutenant or title, XO, uh, Cheng, uh, which would be like another title for chief engineer, or WEPS, mm-hmm. short for weapons officer, and so on. So, it, good perspective. The, the different ways that uh, female officers could be addressed in, in the, on a ship. Robert writes an email, while I love Rathacon, Star Trek First Contact is by far my favorite. I also like Star Trek Six. Mm. Both of these movies have everything a Trek movie should have. A good bad guy, ship-to-ship combat, humor, an important event for the Federation, and a story that focuses on our heroes. All right, that's fair. I mean, we get a good bad guy and ship-to-ship combat in this one. It's not an important moment for the Federation, per se, though. Not the way Six yeah. is. I actually like the politics in Six, yeah. where it's the the Berlin Wall comes down in space. Right. And I actually, I, 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 I'm open to the idea that Six is better than Two. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But I, I need to rewatch that. I have that on a compact laser. That was like, I, when I first got Ooh. that. I'm not even sure I have a way to play it anymore. But A, a boutique format. Yes, wow. it was very much so. Uh, one of the first uh, Star Trek movies I got, uh, not on VHS. So uh, Rick sends us an email, says, These last two episodes of Secrets of Star Trek have been particularly fun for me. I've been a fan of Trek since I watched it with my dad as a kid, but whenever he watched uh, the original series, I had to duck out before the credits rolled. Baylock's fearsome visage oh. scarred me for years. <laughs> I'm with you, Rick. Ooh. That happened to me, too. Uh, I used to have to turn away when, uh, when the credits rolled. And he says... Uh, and those earbugs from Wrath of Khan, I think I was introduced to that movie when I was less than 10, but could not oh, handle yeah. that scene. I didn't muster <laughs> the courage to see it in full until I was in college. Now, of course, I love it. Think you'll get around to a Star Trek Four episode? Oh, most definitely. That's got Eventually. Be. Oh, yeah. There are we want f- to. We'll get there. <laughs> yeah. There are quite a few lines from that movie that have entered my family's lexicon. In general, I'm loving everything you do at SQPN. And Jimmy Aiken was always my favorite apologist at Catholic Answers. And it was a real, relatively recent uh, Weird Questions episode that led me here, and I've just become a backer. 
keep up the great work. Thank you, Rick, for everything. Yay. Thank you for right. supporting us and for your uh, your love for the show. Um, I I have to say, I recently started uh, play. I was playing some uh, soundtrack music and the music from Star Trek Four that you mentioned, where they're rescuing um, uh, Chekhov from the hospital. The that jaunty music as they're running through the mm-hmm. hospital. I it was playing. Mm-hmm. I had to explain to the kids why that was Star Trek music. They couldn't understand. And as I was explaining the movie, they're all that now they're all clawing at me to watch this movie again. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to, <laughs> oh. to rewatching it. And uh, so they can, about they can it. hear Chekhov ask where the nuclear vessels are. Oh, it's totally an yeah. Alameda across the bay. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Such a good. I love the love the bit in that sequence where McCoy is interacting with the woman with a kidney problem. <laughs> yes. And it's like dialysis. What is this? The Middle Ages? And then yeah. she, later on, she's the doctor gave me pills and I grew a new kidney. The doctor gave me pills and I grew a new kidney. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many, so many great lines. that. Look forward to that one because we're going to have fun with that episode. Yeah. So there was the, the I a friend of mine had a, a Star Trek T-shirt on the other day. I saw him on Facebook with his family and it had the Star Trek logo and it said, Double dumbass on you on it. That's Kirk's favorite famous line from. <laughs> oh, because he doesn't know twenty twentieth century insult. Yeah, twentieth yep. century insult. So yeah, that was a that was a, uh, my friend uh, Jeff that uh, <laughs> was wearing it. So great, great shirt. <laughs> so uh, thank you all for the feedback. We really do appreciate you uh, you sending your feedback, and we'd love to get more of it. Uh, and for like Rick supporting the show, we want to take a moment to thank all our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including. Todd H., Brian M., Rosemary P., Matthew G., and Bob M., in addition to Rick. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows we do at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give, which will let you either make a one-time donation via PayPal or become an ongoing supporter through patreon.com slash StarQuest. There's a link on that page to our Patreon. So uh, if you can see your way to supporting the show, we would greatly appreciate it. So that's it from us. What did you think of this episode of Mud's Women from the original series? Let us know by visiting sqpn.com slash Trek or the SQPN Facebook page and leave some feedback. Or like uh, our listeners did today, send us an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next generation's cause and effect. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thanks, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, men will be men no matter where they are. And no matter where you go, there you are.